Father in heaven, thank you so much for another wonderful week, for your watch care over us is never ending. Lord, thank you for the protection. Thank you for the blessed Sabbath hours that we're in right now. And we just ask for your Holy Spirit to grace us with thy presence once more. Lead us, O Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our study for this evening is entitled The Rich Man in His and His Barn. We are going to be continuing our series, The Parables of Jesus. And before we get into the parable itself, once again, we're asking this question. What is the background of the parable? Once again, there is a story that leads up and, and that gets Jesus to, to feel the need to tell this parable. And let's start with our opening text here this evening in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Luke 12, 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So this man, he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus for help. He asks Jesus to intervene into a family affair. He's asking Jesus to tell his brother to divide his inheritance with him. Obviously, the parents must have passed away. And, you know, as is the case usually, many families, you know, they're close and they're loving each other until they have to talk about the division of money issues. You know, who's going to get this house? Who's going to get this? And who's going to get that? And many families, they begin to fight and squabble over these things. And I guess this was such the case. And he so he goes over to Jesus and he asks for help. Jesus, please, Tell my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. They're arguing, they're squabbling, there's division. And Jesus, he wants no part of it. He doesn't want to get involved. That is not the reason why he came to this earth to settle every single person's dispute. He didn't come to deal with family issues in regards to inheritance. However, Jesus, you know, even though he sidestepped and says, you know, uh, God did not make me a judge over who's going to get what, right? Even though he says, look, this has got nothing to do with me, yet he doesn't stop there. He continues to speak. What does he talk about? He says what? He says that a man's life does not consist of what? Of what a man owns. It's not all about what, the, what we possess, the abundance of the things we possess. But he says what? Take heed. He warns this man about what? About covetousness. Why? Because he's trying to tell him, look, stop fighting so hard about riches. Stop focusing so hard about riches. And sometimes, you know, we get so bent out of shape wanting to divide it so equally that that's all we care about and not about unity in the family, love between brother and sister. As I said, friends, sometimes these sorts of things, they divide 
brothers and sisters. Everything was peaceful. Everything was happy and good until it came down to family matters. And I'm telling you, friends, even though my, I myself have not experienced this before, praise God, my mom and dad are still alive. Um, I have not have to worry about, hey, who's going to get what, what money, what property or whatever it is from my parents. You know, friends, we got to make sure that we maintain peace and harmony and unity in all of this. But yet Jesus warns about what? Covetousness. So based upon what Jesus says, we can expect that He's going to teach us about what covetousness is. But before we get into the parable itself, typically, what do we understand about covetousness? What is it that we usually understand about covetousness? Because that 10th commandment is really such a difficult um, sin, in a sense, to detect. And many of us misunderstand what covetousness really is all about. So friends, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question about covetousness. So take, for example, if I see your phone and I like your phone, and I go out and buy the same phone. Is that covetousness? Is that what it means to be covetous? No, it isn't actually. How about if I see your car and I like the, the car that you get and I get the same year, the same color, the same model, everything exactly the same. I go buy exactly the same car as the car that you got. Is that being covetous? No, it isn't. How about a house? So I see uh, the house that you buy, and I like that house. I like the design of it. I like the materials that you use. I go and replicate that house to the exact same degree on the same street. Does that mean I'm being covetous? No, it doesn't, friends. But then, what do we call that typically? That's called keeping up with the Joneses. That's what we say in US, right? But, you know, that's just... You know, you, you get a certain lifestyle and I upgrade to that certain lifestyle to match you. And uh, whether you're my friend or your enemy, it doesn't matter. But, you know, I'm using my own money. I'm using my own time. I'm using my own efforts. That's not being covetous though, friends. At least in this context, it's not. Then what does it mean to be covetous? What is, how, how can we know whether we are covetous or not? Well, the clue is actually found in the Ten Commandments. It's not in the Tenth Commandment, pardon me. It's not you buy something and I buy the same thing because I like it. That's not being covetous. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Look at this. Exodus 20 and verse 17. The Bible says this, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So there's quite a few things here that the 10th commandment highlights. Don't covet the neighbor's house, wife, manservant, maidservant, his ox or his ass, or anything. So his property or anything that of that sort. And it doesn't seem to give us a clear understanding of what covetousness is, except for one thing. One thing that kind of stands out, and that is not coveting your neighbor's wife. Okay? The key here is the 10th commandment says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Look, you can't see someone's wife and say, I like that woman. I'm going to go out and find exactly the same woman. 
That's that's not possible because there's no such thing as exactly the same woman, even if she has an identical twin sister. You see, friends, the only way to find a wife like that is to take that man's wife. You understand that? There's no such thing as being able to find exactly the same wife. You see, covetousness is detected more clearly when we end up breaking one of the other Ten Commandments. I like his wife. I'm going to kill him for his wife. That's exactly what King David did with Bathsheba, right? He coveted after this man's wife. And so I, I, I commit adultery against this man's wife, with, with this man's wife, right? So it, it's found in the, the breaking of one of the other Ten Commandments, you see. So it is definitely a very difficult sin to detect and we have to be so careful because covetousness, you see, is when we see someone else's belongings and so now we come to the house. I like his house. I'm going to kill him for his house. I like his phone. I'm going to steal his phone. You see that? So covetousness is detected when it ends up in the breaking of one of the other 10 commandments. This is what we typically understand of covetousness. It is such a difficult and deceptive sin, and we have to be so careful. Covetousness is not keeping up with the trend, getting the latest toys and gadgets. There's nothing wrong with that. Covetousness really is so hard to detect because it requires a second step before your eyes are opened to realize the understanding of what you have done in trying to acquire this person's property. And it could even be to the extent that you like this person's phone and you don't steal his phone, but you go to the shop and steal that phone because you don't have money for it, you see. So it ends up in the breaking of one of the other Ten Commandments, even though it might not hurt that person personally as well. So look, we end up hurting our character. We end up breaking the law when it comes to true covetousness. And so Jesus, he tells this man that came to him, Jesus, please help me. My brother, he doesn't want to divide the inheritance fairly. And Jesus says, look, I didn't come to be a judge over these sorts of things, but be careful about covetousness. In this context of what we see already, it doesn't seem like this man is being covetous, but yet Jesus says he is. And if Jesus, the Son of God, who can read man's heart, who is the author of these Ten Commandments, when he can look into this man's heart and says, be careful, you are being covetous, we're getting, it seems like, a new spin on what it means to be covetous. Because maybe this evening you're sitting here and you haven't stolen anyone else's possessions. You haven't gone and broken any of the other nine commandments before that tenth one. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm not covetous. So, you know, this study doesn't apply to me. But this guy, it doesn't seem like he's stolen or killed or committed adultery or done anything of that sort. It's to do with their parents' inheritance and how him and his brother are squabbling over this inheritance. So now let's get into the parable because it will give us an interesting twist on what it means to be covetous. Let's go. Luke chapter 12, 16 to 21. 
And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So in this parable, there is only one character. It's the rich man. The rich man and his barn is the title of our study this evening. The whole parable is just about this rich man. And what happens to this rich man? Well, it seems like God blesses him. You know, the ground brings forth plentifully. He's doing an honest job. He's sowing and he's got servants and and instead of double, he gets 10 times or a hundred times what he sows in. And it's amazing. He gets even richer than he already is. And he has so much room, so much, pardon me, so much riches. He has so much extra blessing that he has no room left to store his riches. So God really blesses him. But what does he do? What does he do when he realizes, wow, I got times 100, times 1,000 in back from the stock market, right? What shall I do with my riches? What does he do? He goes out. He tears down his existing barn. He builds a bigger barn, a greater barn, to store everything that he has. And he sounds like a person who is ready to retire early. He says what? Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry, right? He's ready to retire early. God has blessed him so much. Isn't that what we all desire? Try to try to break away from the rat race and not do the job that I have to do because I got to you know I got to survive and and you know be paid. You know many of us were probably we're probably in jobs that we don't enjoy um, because we just got to do it to support ourselves. Um, and many of us, I'm sure, if we are asked the question, what is your ideal job? What would you love to do? It might not even be the job that we're currently in at the moment. And so this guy, finally, he realizes his dream. Take ease. Just relax now. Eat and drink and be merry. That's all we need to do. You know, friends, that's what this man, he is, has arrived at. He is ready to retire early. So, It seems like the parable is telling us we shouldn't retire early. There's something wrong with that, is there? What else? What is this parable talking about? What does it mean when this is talking about covetousness? What does it mean that this, this man, he was rich already and God blessed him with investments and he got a bigger barn? What's wrong with that, right? He's storing up for the future. He doesn't have to worry about the future anymore, right? What's wrong with all of this? Well, first friends, what's wrong with money? Let's have a look at this, a familiar text. Um, you know, is there really anything wrong with retiring early? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, is there really anything wrong with acquiring wealth? 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred 
from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Friends, look, according to this text, there is nothing wrong with with being rich if you haven't erred from the faith. But most of those that have uh, are, are rich that have gained uh, an um, a huge amount, not just a little bit, but a huge amount of wealth. Most of those that are rich, they've sold themselves to the world somehow. They've been indebted to the world. They've chased after the world more than they chased after God. Some way, shape or form, they've let go of their character. They've reflected more of the character of the world. Or they've left God while in pursuit of riches. And maybe they even broke the law. They got involved with alcohol or drugs or or cut some corner that they know they shouldn't have because they were going against the Bible. But in order to get this business deal of a lifetime, just one time, they let go. You see, friends, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, it tells us the love of money is what? The root of all evil. But what happens to these rich people? What makes money so dangerous? Let's go to the previous verse before this in verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you see that, friends? Those that be rich, they fall into temptation, many more temptations, and a snare and hurtful lusts that end up destroying them. Why? Simply because they can afford so much more. All of a sudden, they can afford things that they could only dream of before. They can buy things that were out of their reach before. And they they can finally have certain hobbies and do certain things and travel to certain places and eat certain foods, right? But what's the opposite of this? Well, Let's look at the previous verses before that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. What is opposite to all of this? Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Friends, what is opposite to all of this? Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Opposite of covetousness is contentment. To be content means that you are satisfied with your current situation and you can be thankful for it. Now look friends, I'm not saying that you should be satisfied living under a bridge in a cardboard box. No, that's not what I'm referring to. But at least wherever you are, you can be thankful that God has blessed you and brought you to that point. You could be thankful that at least you have a cardboard box and you can work towards getting a house honestly instead of stealing for it or killing someone else for it. We brought nothing into this world and we won't be bringing anything out and away with us. It's similar to what was said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20 that if your life comes to an end now, who will all these things belong to, right? The government, your family, your spouse, Nobody, if you didn't write a will, well, then it goes to the government, right? But certainly it will belong to everyone else but you. So then why do we work so hard 
just for this, to die with nothing? What's going to happen to the millions that you earn when you die? It will be given away to your children, your family, or, or even to strangers. Why don't you do something good with it now when you can whilst you're still alive? Riches, they are so deceptive. Riches, it causes us to change our character sometimes and it ends up really destroying us with hurtful lusts. But what else does the Bible say about being rich? Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that hardly, pardon me, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is difficult. It is almost well nigh impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? The problem is not about being rich, but it's about being reluctant to follow God when he comes to you and asks you to give it up. This was the problem of the rich young ruler in this chapter when Jesus asked him to follow him. In verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, If you will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, what happened? He went away sorrowful because he had many riches. Do you see that, friends? Sometimes, pardon me, (laughs) great possessions, not many riches. Sometimes the more we have, the harder it is to let go. The problem is not about being rich, but about, about being willing to give up your riches to follow God. That is something that we all have to be so careful of. Even if you earn less money or you're much poorer, you can still be covetous. Do you know that? It's not just about the rich people with millions of dollars. Maybe you only have a hundred thousand and I can be satisfied that I'm definitely going to heaven. No, we can even be covetous with very little. And so a person that could value their iPad or their their mobile phone more than a rich man values their Bentley or, or their Mercedes or whatever it is, right? It just depends how you view all of these things. However, when we come back to the parable, what was it that made the rich man covetous? What was it? Do you remember? It says that he laid up treasure for himself and he was not rich towards God. He laid up only treasure for himself, and, but it didn't stop there he was not rich towards God. You see, friends, there's nothing wrong with wanting to expand your barn. Because, you know, in this day and age, if you start off with a bicycle, you're expanding your barn by buying yourself a motorbike. And then you're expanding your barn by buying yourself a car. You're thinking of yourself in that sense, right? And that's normal. There's nothing covetous about this. But he was selfish, you see. He wanted to keep all the treasure, all the gain, all that God had blessed him with. He wanted to keep it to himself. He wanted to hoard it. He was selfish. You see, covetousness has much to do with selfishness. Friends, there's nothing wrong if your corresponding riches are also used to bless others. When your riches increase personally to yourself, make sure that your richness towards God also increases as well. But the rich man, 
he was only thinking about himself. You see, now I can retire. I can take ease and, and be merry and just eat and drink. But friends, we need to be rich towards God as well. We got to give back to God as well. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Look, let's start with actual money, okay? Make sure when you get riches, literally, God gives you more, that you give more back to God. We got to work with what? Percentages. So as your riches increases, then your giving will increase as well. 10% tithe, 10% offering. You know, you go from 100,000 to a million dollars a year. Well, make sure you still give that. And before you were giving, what, 10,000 in tithe and 10,000 in offering, but now you're giving 100,000 in tithe and 100,000 in offering. You see, so we, we got to make sure that as our wealth increases, our giving to God also increases. But this guy, he saw all the riches that God blessed him with, and he thought, well, I just got to build bigger barns and, and keep it all to myself now, you see. That's not only that, you see, I think that as a person increases in their wealth, we have to keep a modest lifestyle instead of having to feel like we got to upgrade at every turn, upgrade our clothes, upgrade our wardrobes, right? Upgrade our, our, our car, upgrade everything. We got to be so careful. Let's keep to a modest lifestyle so that we can actually give more in terms of percentage to God as well, because we won't need as much. Whatever was the increase, more of that could go to God than to us. As God has blessed you, have you been giving back to Him even more? Look at the text in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So friends, it is God that gives us these riches. And yes, He gives us these riches to enjoy. There's nothing wrong. Let me repeat this again. There's nothing wrong with spending a bit on yourself, getting a bit more higher quality clothes. I'm not saying that we can't upgrade, friends. There's nothing wrong with building a bigger barn. But we have to remember God, who is the one that gives us all these riches. And then we continue from verse 17 to 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Do you see that? And willing to communicate. As a result, we should do good when God blesses us with these riches. And it says there, rich in good works, ready to distribute meaning you already have a plan for these riches. You've already got money set aside and you're looking, who needs help? Who needs help? And I'm ready to help them, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We should be willing to give these riches to be a blessing to others. We should be ready to give to those who are in need and, and not just, you know, splurge on our friends who, oh, you know, let me buy you a car too. Now I got a lot of money, right? No, it's not that. It's not about just blessing those that are rich with you, but those that are in need. We should come with money ready to give to the Lord's work. But not just that. Let's continue. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold 
on eternal life. Friends, what does it mean to lay up in store for themselves a good foundation? Does it mean that we should be like the rich man? That we should be ready to just uh, 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 lay up in store of savings and that's it? No, we should save so that we can give. Yes, we should save, but and saving for the future is important, and we should live frugally for that, but let's not save at the expense of being rich towards God. Remember, there's a balance to that. Laying up store a foundation. That foundation is being rich in good works. It's not a foundation of money so that when pandemic hits and um, global financial crisis hits and these things hit that we've seen in the past, that we're okay and that whilst everyone else is suffering. No, let's lay up in store so that we can, whatever little we have, it can go to help somebody. We're too caught up, friends, you see, with our own lives. We're too caught up with seeing that this extra money that we, we find here and there, thinking that it can be used for ourselves. We don't think of that extra money to, to go in extra financial sense to the Lord's work. And this is where covetousness begins to creep in because we think, I worked hard for it. I'm the one that got the promotion, not realizing that God was the one that gave us the wisdom to get that promotion. You see, so maybe, you know, you don't give all your money away, but at least be willing to use your resources or allow those resources to be used for the glory and the service of God. Your car, your house, your, your means, your computer, the things that you buy for yourself, let it be used as a blessing for others as well. Do something that can bless people materially. Learn to be a blessing to everybody. Friends, this was the Abrahamic covenant, remember? God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. He's not blessing us simply so that we can retire early and go travel the world and have all these privileges that no one else can have. No, friends. God wants to bless us so that we can use those riches to be a blessing for other people. But so many of us, we just think of the bigger house, the bigger bungalow, the bigger penthouse that we can get, and a nicer car. We go from a, a $50,000 car to a $100,000 car to a $200,000 car, and we, that's all we think about, isn't it? That's all many of us think about. But the Abrahamic covenant was not designed in such a way. God wanted to bless Abraham. God wanted to bless all his descendants. And God still wants to bless you and I today. Not so that we can finally make it out of this little house that I'm so tired of living in. No. But so that we can use it to be a blessing to other people. You know, it's people like um, Warren Buffett, one of the richest people in the world that I read about, that he's still driving his 10-year-old, 20-year-old car. He's still living in the same house that he lived in 30, 40 years ago. You know, same neighborhood. He hasn't felt the need to upgrade in a sense. Has he upgraded here and there? Yeah, but you know, his diet is still simple, even though it's horrendous, going to McDonald's and eating every day and drinking Coca-Cola every day. But, you know, he's not upgraded. Look at people like Bill Gates, who now uses his foundation to try and bless so many people out there. There, You see, maybe some of us, we think, well, you know, he's got billions and billions and billions. That's why he can do that. But no, friends, we got to be like that even today. No matter how little you have, God wants and He has 
I think if we sit back long enough and think about this, He has blessed us already. And He wants us to be a blessing. You might not have as much as your neighbor. You might not have the same car. You might not have the same standard of living. You might not have the nice mattress that they have or the nice and beautiful couch that they have is leather and reclining and everything. We, you know, if we compare to our neighbors who even live down the street from us, we might not have the same quality of lifestyle. Our tiles might be those small little tiles of 20, 30 years old and, you know, they might have these big slabs of marble, you know, even though it's the same size house. We could compare forever and come to this point and tell God, God, I can't give. But it's not that, friends. With the little that you have, are you still being rich towards God? You see, friends, what is the biggest problem of covetousness? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friends, what is the biggest issue that we're contending with? It's our heart. It is our hearts. You see, what about our hearts? Where is it focused? Is it focused on earth or is it focused in heaven? You know, the three things that are listed here in Matthew, the three things, it can destroy everything that we own on this earth. Moth, rust, and thief. First, the moth. What does the moth do? It destroys paper. It destroys clothes, it destroys the couch, it can destroy the bed, all the organic material in a sense, right? And then the rust, it destroys all those things that are metal, such as electronics, our cars, and all those things. And, and whatever the moth and the rust doesn't corrupt and destroy, the thief will come and take it. He'll take your gold bar that can't be corrupted in a sense, right? In, in other words, everything at the end of time will be destroyed. And why do we work so hard and focus so hard on it? Why do we covet it so much? The biggest problem is what? Our heart and where we are focused. And this evening, friends, we need to refocus our attention from our heart, from the worldly things to the eternal. We got to refocus you know, friends, I want to remind you in the following, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How can we come to this this mindset, because so many of us, we, we hoard all these treasures. We want to go travel to the places that only we see on postcards and, and on YouTube videos, right? We want to go and travel there and stand there next to the Eiffel Tower or wherever it is, what, whatever nature that, you know, in the North Pole. Or we want to go to these exotic locations and, and we want to go there because it costs a lot. And so now I can. I want to be able to ride in a helicopter or whatever it is, you know. We have all these desires in our hearts and, and we have all these aims and goals and bucket lists in our life that 
many of us, which requires money, right? And so when money comes to our hand, we finally think, oh, I can afford all these things. And we don't find that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We find that it's more blessed to enjoy our, our own hard-earned money, right? I don't have to feel bad about it. I earned, I, I, I put in so much hours just to earn it. You see that? But friends, why is it that so few of us find it a blessing to give and not receive, right? It's because our focus is not on Christ. Our focus is not on eternal things. It's because many of us in the pursuit of wealth, we've let go of spending time with Jesus. We've let go of going to church. We've let go of our personal devotions. We've let go of reading the Bible. We have let go of spending time in prayer. And so many of us in the chase for wealth, the first thing we do when we wake up is to check our investments, is to check our Facebook, is to check our social media, is to reply to emails that were sent overnight from our boss or from the company. And we are so focused on the rat race that in the process of running and chasing after money, that when we have finally arrived at our destination, we've left Christ hundreds of miles behind us. And so we can't let go of our treasures. We can't let go of it because we don't have the heart of Christ anymore. In the pursuit of wealth, we let go of Him. But I'm telling you, the rich man that gets rich with Christ by his side becomes even more generous, becomes a person that gives even more, that becomes rich in works towards God. They become rich towards God because every step of their journey, of their way, as they have been focused on their work and earning a living and saving and investing, Jesus has been by their side every step of the way. And so as their riches increase, their giving increases as well because their love towards God is still burning strong and they've not left Christ behind. And finally, they can say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Or in Philippians, they can say in chapter 3 and verse 8, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of what? The knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Friends, we can count this whole world and all our riches but dung if we are keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we have grown in faith and love for Him and at the same time God blessed us with riches just like Abraham. He was such a rich man but he was so faithful to God. Everywhere he went, he reared up altars to serve God. You see, there's nothing wrong with being rich if Jesus is still with you, if you are still praying, if you are still finding time to spend with Jesus in daily devotion, meaningful devotion, if you're still able to support the church and their programs on Friday nights throughout the Sabbath instead of working so hard and going home and just sleeping, if you're still able to support the church in their prayer meeting, in their united prayers, and, and, and if you do all of that and God still blesses you, guess what? Your mind is not carried away with the desire for gain and riches and not leaving the riches of God behind. 
or being rich towards God behind. Then we can count everything but dung. And so that when Jesus comes and says, my son, my daughter, give it up. Sell everything and give to the poor and come follow me. We are willing and we are ready because our relationship with Christ has kept us in check. That our love for Christ has not waned in the pursuit of all these riches. That even though God has blessed us, we'll still be willing to give everything, everything, just to follow Him. Friends, where is your focus? Where is your mind? Where is your heart? Because there, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. You know, friends, our focus needs to be on Christ. Anything short of that will make us come short of eternal life as well. And the way we spend our riches, our money, how we live with the possessions that we have on this earth, it just shows whether Christ is abiding in our hearts or not. Jesus, he was not a rich man on this earth, and yet he gave so much. He gave so much. How was he able to do that, friends? Because heaven was in his heart. You know, friends, you might not be doing anything morally bad today. I want to remind you that that rich man in the parable was not doing anything morally bad as well. It's just we get so busy that we forget about God, that we don't end up spending time with Him. And riches, they're deceptive. They can change the priorities in our life to the point that we become covetous. Why? Because you work so hard to gain it that you don't want to lose it. And your priorities, it changes, doesn't it? The question is this. Are you still the same faithful servant of God today? For those that are rich, right? Compared to when you were poor. How can we avoid this covetousness? Let's go to Psalms 119 and verse 36. Psalms 119 and verse 36. The Bible says this, Incline my heart unto thine testimonies and not to covetousness. If we are spending time in His Word, the Word will be a a guard, a wall around our hearts to keep us from covetousness. It will help us to keep our priorities in check. It will help us not to be greedy. You see, those testimonies are the Scriptures there, friends. And it keeps, if we keep it in our heart, it will keep our heart safe and secure to be focused on God and always rich in good works towards God. And finally, I want to end with a familiar text. Matthew 6.33 Six, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Friends, if we seek God first, if we put Him first, everything will be added. It is, it is not about the fact that man feels prospered. And not just feels, but he literally is prospered. But the question is, what do you do with those riches? Do those possessions go out to bless others? Or do those possessions only result in a blessing to yourself? Remember, God is the one that prospered you at the beginning. So think of how you can be rich towards God today, friends. 
how you can be a blessing to others, especially with the riches that God has blessed you with. And I know, friends, that as you spend time with Jesus, He will guide you. He will show you how to bless others with those riches and how we can always live a content life and a balanced life that we, at every step, no matter how rich or poor, we are verily doing the will of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have blessed us abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that you have been with us, that you have guided us this evening and you've shown us, Lord, that you want us to be rich in good works towards you and towards our fellow brothers and sisters on this earth. Lord, no matter how rich or poor we are, I pray that you help us to be that blessing and help us to stay close to you, that we can do your will at every step. Father, please convict us. For those that have the means and the riches, remind us again that you are the one that blessed us and you want us to be a blessing to others as well. Thank you, Lord. We just surrender our lives again to you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.